Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody, welcome. Talking in circles, Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you tonight. Reviewing the Overton's 400 from the Chicagoland Speedway, and what a finish it was between Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson, two of the more aggressive drivers on the NASCAR circuit, and they certainly showed it on the final lap at Chicagoland Speedway. First, it was Larson getting into Kyle Busch, then Kyle Busch getting into Kyle Larson, which resulted in Kyle Busch's 48th career victory in the fifth of his 2018 season. Kyle Larson finished second. Kevin Harvick was third. Truex was fourth. Uh, Clint Boyer was fifth. We'll discuss uh, the rest of the running results in a little bit later. Um, we'll also discuss there was some controversy at the end of stage two when Kevin Harvick aggressively passed Kurt Busch coming off a of turn four to win the final the st- uh, stage two there and, and get one playoff point. Busch was not very happy with the way his teammate, quote-unquote, raced him uh, at the end of that stage, went into a little bit of a radio tirade, We'll discuss the unwritten rules between teammates if Harvick was in the wrong. Um, and, you know, just just the overall, do you run your teammate differently there on the final lap of a stage than you do anybody else? Stages are rather new in NASCAR, so it would be an interesting topic to discuss. Also coming up, we will uh, review the action from the NASCAR Xfinity Series and NASCAR Camper Grill Truck Series. Brett Moffitt on an absolute tear right now. Offering your calls, 917-889-8280. John, what were your thoughts there on that final lap there from home, uh, from Chicagoland Speedway today? Well, there's a couple things about that final lap. I think um, Kyle Larson said flat out he meant to hit Kyle Busch in the side. And he said if he would have pulled the slide job perfectly, he would have gotten tight. Kyle Busch would have been able to do the crossover and pull away from him. So Kyle Larson opened up the door. When you bang doors, guess what? On the last lap, all bets are off. I mean, Kyle Busch had every right to uh, go tearing into turn three and give him a shot in the rear end and push him up the track. And I think it was probably one of the best finishes, probably one of the best ones we've seen since the Daytona 500 where Harvick won by a – I mean, barely a nose against Mark Martin. Um, It's one of the best mile-and-a-half finishes we've seen in a long, 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 long time. And considering the lack of cautions that were there, as hot as the track was, it was hot and slick all day today, um, it was a great race considering what all we had going against everybody because everybody says mile-and-a-half suck. I mean, think about it. Martin Truex started 36, finished fourth. Clint Boyer had two speeding penalties, came back and finished fifth. Harvick was tight most of the day, got third. But that last lap between Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson, that's what racing's all about. That's why we pay money to watch these things in person. That's why we turn on the TV on Sunday afternoon and grab a cold beer and sit there and watch everything happen. Races like that, that's why we have it. And I think moving Chicago from September to start the chase to mid-July 
where it's hotter than you know what in the Midwest, I think it was a great move. Um, let's just hope Indianapolis gets better whenever it comes to when it runs in the fall. But I thought it was a great finish to a good race. And there's a lot of stories in here we're going to talk about. I mean, there are plenty of stories from this race that I mean, the pit gun thing came up again. Eric Almarola had a great day going. The pit guns wound up costing him. Um, mm, Boyer right. went into his pack set. That, I mean, Boyer ran great all day. Take away two speeding penalties. I don't think he's fighting for fifth. I think he's pulling away. So, I mean, there's tons for of sure. stories to talk about in this race. Number seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. You can join the show and talk in circles like Tony. Tony, what do you want to talk about tonight? Uh, dude, I gotta say that was a heck of a race, man. I, I basically I didn't really like Kyle Busch when he won all those races, but that guy's a hell of a wheel, man. None the respect for him for that finish. Absolutely, I think and, whatever you want to say but, about Bush is he can really, really drive a race car, no doubt about it. Yeah, Boyer had a good run. I'm a roller at a lot of laps. I heard, and how about Brett Moffitt? I hope that man gets some sponsorship the rest of the year. He's a great driver. He deserves it. He is. He's great. I'll tell you, and we're, we'll go we'll on the a little bit and go into big-time details a little bit later, but Moffitt is, uh, you know, if you can't pull for that team, what they've done this year. I know he got uh, sort of lucky to this week with John Hunter Nemechek running out of gas, having fueling issues like they had in that truck on the final lap there, but sometimes he'll take them. You know, luck is a big part of this oh, yeah. sport. And uh, Brett Moffitt certainly deserves to be in victory lane there on Friday night at Chicagoland Speedway. Um, what did you think about the racing overall, Tony? Well, I didn't get in until like the last restart because I was moving all day, but the racing was very exciting. Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson going out at the end. Harvick had his top five. Truex, Boyer, Eric Jones did well. Here's my prediction. Eric Almarola is going to win a race before the chase. Wow. Well, certainly... I don't think that's a off the wall prediction there, Tony, because Eric Almarola's had the speed. They just haven't been able to put all the I mean, put everything together. They've showed competitiveness. Then they have like the pit guns, the air guns go on them again this week, or loose wheels or something like that. There happens to always be I mean, heck, if you really think about it, we're a quarter of a lap from Eric Almarola being in the chase because he was leading going into turn three at Daytona. Um, oh yeah. My question for you, Tony, and I mean, it's the Brett Moffat thing. We'll talk more about the truck race later on. <clears throat> Excuse me, but Brett Moffat's struggling for sponsorship. They have three wins. They are in wow. the playoffs, lock, stock, and barrel. What do you think about Brett Moffat starting and parking the races he doesn't have sponsorship to make sure that they're ready for that 10 race chase or that chase playoffs where it comes for truck series? I think uh, Shiggy Hattori's right when he says that it takes, like, a lot of money even with travel to start and park. But if I'm Hattori, I'd start and park. That's a smart thing to do. You're already in the chase no matter what. Start and park the rest of your races and then just go for it. Yeah, and it's an interesting strategy. You can't fall out, and I don't know what the cutoff is. We know the cutoff in Cup is, I believe, top 30. I'm not sure what it is in the truck series, probably the top 20, I would guess, are cut off, and he should make that easily, uh, Brent Moffat, oh, yeah. as far as that's concerned. But I, I'm a believer in momentum. I'm a believer in you want to be performing the way you want to perform when you get into the playoffs. But certainly you can look at this and say, 
you know, if you want to spend, if you have a certain budget for the rest of the year, you want to put the majority of that budget in the playoffs because that's where the money, the big money gets paid uh, for the championship. Um, so we'll see what this team's deal is. They do have sponsorship at Kentucky. They do not, they need sponsorship for outdoor in a couple of weeks. Um, but certainly uh, it'll be interesting to see um, what else goes on with that race team uh, there at Chigiatori and, uh, and, and Brett Moffitt. Anything else this weekend, Tony, from this, this weekend this weekend festivity, whether it was Trucks, Cup, or Xfinity, that stood out to you? Honestly, uh, NBC's coverage was great. Dale Jr. did really great in the booth, and uh, I'm hoping Daytona, Jeff, is exciting. That finish, I've been a fan since 2001. That was one of the best finishes I've seen in my 17 years of fandom. Yeah, I, I agree. It's been the best finish in a long time. Really, a lot of people pointed at the Ricky Craven, Kurt Busch, finished from Darlington a bunch of years ago. Um, and I'm not sure it was that great because that one was, I think, the best one of all time, but certainly ranks up there. Tony, thanks so much for calling tonight, and uh, be sure to listen to the show. Got it. Thank you for having me. Have a nice day. Thank you. That was Tony. And a lot of a lot of good points he brought up there. Um, you know, to get back to, to this race at Chicagoland, I, I thought it was a very interesting race. We talked about the fact that there was you know, uh, car, what I liked about today's race was there was a lot of comers and goers. You know, you saw Harvick sort of dominated for a little bit. He talked about Eric Amarola. Amarola, that was far and away his best race of the year, no doubt about it. He, he won the first stage, uh, was pulling away and had some tire issues, but he was a player for a while. Clint Boyer was very, very good before. He had his three issues on pit road, and the mistake by him to not come to a, uh, you know, when you come down for a second time on a speeding penalty, it's a – stop-and-go penalty, not a pass-through penalty. And uh, he misunderstood that and passed through instead of stopping-and-go, and he had to come back and take a stop-and-go penalty. So that really hurt him on the day, was able to get his last back and finish fifth. Uh, but to get back to my point, Harvick was really dominant for a, lot of the, for a lot of the day. Larson really had a good car for a lot of the day. But it just seemed like certain cars were better early in the race than they were later in the race. Chase Elliott really fell off. Um, he finished, I think, 19th today. So it really just showed you that handling meant a lot today. Um, I think the tire wear was great. Goodyear gets an absolute A-plus this week for the tire they brought to Chicagoland Speedway. We didn't have any issues. A worn-out racetrack, a very, very hot racetrack today, and there was not one single tire issue today. Um, maybe one other than for contact, I believe, that it happened. But it a great job. It provided a great race, and Goodyear gets, gets an A-plus, in my opinion, today. And uh, I just think the whole overall race as a whole, that there were comers and goers and certain players at certain different times of the race certainly made it a lot more interesting. Yeah, I think you're right, Clayton. Um, good work by Goodyear to have the, enough fall off, but also have the tire last. So you didn't have blowouts. Uh, and especially with the way today went, there was a heck of a lot of green flag racing. And a lot of times if you get in a mile and a half and there isn't the cautions there to rebuild and put everything back into order, you get the eight-second win like we had in the Xfinity Series race yesterday. But today it was really good. I mean, there was a lot of people who, I mean, I'm reading through some of the post-race comments by everybody. I mean, Truex starting in the back, and he actually was sorry that he was, I mean, that they had their issues that they had, but NASCAR picked the pit stall for them. And he wound up in front of the 42, which probably uh, cost Larson a little bit here and there on pit road to, um, get them 
put them a little further behind coming out of pit stops because Larson was always having to work around Truex to get out of the pits. Um, Almirola's car, that was on a rail for a while. And as he said, he said it's probably the fastest car that they've had, especially in clean air. They just weren't able to put the whole race together. Um, there's a difference between being good and being great, and today they were good. They had the speed. They brought incredible race, uh, brought an incredible race car. But on road, they had issues with a gun. I mean, it's one of those things. You look at it, every stage until the final, I mean, until the last lap of the race, I mean, the first two stages, you're looking at Stuart Haas again up there dominating. Boyer was fast all day. Almirola was fast. Harvick was always in the conversation. Harvick and Kurt Busch were battling for the second stage win. But at the end of the day, two of the guys who are, I think, two of the best wheelmen we have, Kyle Larson, I mean, he basically thought he was in a 410 sprint car there in uh, turns one and two and turns three and four. I mean, he did everything he could to keep that baby from spinning out and wound up having a great race for Kyle Larson. I mean, the finish wasn't exactly as he had hoped, but he had a great race, and it was a phenomenal day for Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson. The finish that they put together just was something special. Absolutely, and Larson didn't have a great, uh, you know, didn't, that race didn't end up the way he wanted to, which is in victory lane, but went away with the most points of the day with 52 due to his performance in the stages uh, and as well as the end of the race. You know, I can't say enough about that finish. Um, I think a lot of people looked at the lap cars. They came up on Ricky Stenhouse Jr., um, Ross Chastain, Ryan Newman was in that little pack, and there was one or, one or two other, I think, that, that were in that as well that really slowed Kyle Busch down in the closing stages, and that's sort of why Larson was able to catch Kyle Busch. He, he hurt his momentum a lot, and he was able to work his way up to Kyle Busch. But, you know, Larson was going for it, and it's great to see. You know, it's great to see these guys battling for wins and not going for points. It means so much. And that leads me to sort of my second topic here, which was the end of stage two. Um, I was talking to a mutual friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, who was discussing the way Kevin Harvick drove Kurt Busch at the end of that race. Now, Kurt Busch ended up 17th, uh, didn't have major issues on the day, but was a very big player in the first two stages. Um, was, was a very fast race car. And at the end of stage two, it looked like he was pretty much had stage two wrapped up. Um, he finished the first stage in fourth, had stage two look like he had wrapped up, and then Harvick put a late charge on him and was able to pass him coming out of turn four into the stripe. It was Harvick to win stage two. Now, it they got real close to each other. They ran each other really, really hard. Uh, Kurt was not very happy with the way Kevin ran him on the – Kurt was not very happy with the way Kevin ran him. He uh, said so on the radio that he was not just not happy with the way he ran him. Um, I look at it this way. I think we need to sort of simmer down. Now, a lot of people were saying, well, that's not how you run a teammate, yada, yada, yada. Baloney, you know, these stage points are huge. And not only – Oh, the stage points huge, but the playoff points that Harvick, that Harvick got. You know, right now he's three playoff points behind Kyle Busch, and he's a bunch of points back. He's second in points behind Kyle Busch in the playoffs, so, and, and the regular season standings. So those extra playoff points that Kyle Busch are going to get that Kevin Harvick won't, so he's got to fight and claw for every single point he can get. And that includes those, that extra two points he got, one playoff point and one regular season point, that he got in that stage, he's got to fight and claw for that. It doesn't matter if it's a teammate. 
if it's his teammate. If you went out there and, and turned Kurt Busch and wrecked him, that's one thing. Um, and, and, you know, bumped him out of the way, that's one thing. He didn't – He sure, it was an aggressive pass for turn four. But isn't that what these stages were for, to sort of see these guys run each other really, really hard and push each other really, really hard? I mean, I have one problem with the way Kevin Harvick drove Kurt Busch at the end of stage two. Uh, what were your thoughts on that, John? And what is – what is the unwritten rule for teammates? I mean, you know, we, this is such a, a – the stages are such a new phenomenon in, in NASCAR that it's sort of – we don't really know how you should run these stages, where, how you should finish them. And I know it's your team, his teammate, and teammates are a, a crucial part of a, of a person's – of a team's success. There's no doubt about it when you work together. But where do you draw the line on it, I guess is what I'm saying, uh, coming down to these stages? Is it no holds bar? What is the protocol in your opinion? My uh, my thought on it as you're racing a teammate is even though you fall under the banner of Stuart Haas Racing and Kurt Busch and Kevin Harvick both have their paychecks signed by Tony Stewart and Gene Haas, when you strap the helmet on, you belong to the 41 team or you belong to the four team. If Kevin Harvick put Kurt Busch into the wall to win that stage, that's a whole different animal. But to get the points, your job is to make the best day possible for your team. And Kevin Harvick did that. He got a run on Kurt Busch coming off of four. Had an aggressive move. Getting the win, and Kurt Busch didn't. Um, I think whenever you're racing for stages, yeah, it's a whole different thing. One of the things that people bitched and moaned about for years was, okay, we could watch the start of the race. We could watch the restarts. And then we come back for the last 50 laps because that's when they're really racing. Now they have two built-in races that they have to get the extra points for. It helps them. It helps add more drama to the race. I mean, you hear chocolate all the time talking about drama, drama, drama. I think it's a good thing that they wound up uh, putting the stages in. I think it's a good move by Harvick because, like you said, he's three playoff points behind Kyle Busch, and he's a few more back because they lost that. Uh, the points to the penalty from Las Vegas. Bon, if Harvick has all the wins that he would have had points-wise, he would be ahead of uh, Kyle Busch easily. But because of the penalty, they're scratching, clawing, doing everything they can. And they saw last year what Martin Truex did with winning stages, winning races. It, t- it would have taken an act of God for Martin Truex not to be in the final four. And that's the goal at the end of the day. You want your team to be in the final four. I can see it if your two teammates at the end of the race and Clint Boyer were at Martinsville and Harvick didn't put a fender to him and Boyer ends up winning the race because Harvick didn't put a fender to him. You get your teammate into the playoffs that's a whole different thing. I think if it's just the two of them battling it out, that's something you end up doing. But if it's a stage, as long as you don't wreck your teammate, that's always been the rule. You look at Junior Johnson, whenever he, he was one of the first ones to put teammates together. And his rule was you race for your number, but don't take the other one out. And that's where I think the racing should be when it comes to teammates. You race for your number, but don't take your teammate out. Oh, I, I agree. See, I think when the race happens on Sunday, I, I think there should be a working relationship with teammates Friday and Saturday. 
you know, you want to get all the team cars performing as well as po- as good as possible. Now, I know there's some. It'll never be that way where teams are going to totally 100% open up their book and let their teammates see it. And I get that. I think there's that's a good thing. Um, there should be some secrets within teams, but for the most part, can be clean on practice. You you don't script their qualifying. And I, I take it even to this level. You know, I know some teams like to pit next to each other. You know, for example, I know Front Row Motorsports likes to, if they can, uh, have a pit stall right next to each other because it makes it easier for them where you know um, your teammate's not going to block you in or pit deeper in the box to pin you into a situation where other teams don't, you know, won't bust your chops. You can work together and not pit on the same lap uh, if need be. So you have a clean in, the, or at least a clean out if you're pitting with a teammate. So all that makes sense to me, and I'm totally for all that. But when we get to the racetrack, and you're in a situation where you're at the end of stage two, and the way track position is nowadays, uh, and clean air is such a big factor, there's no doubt I think you run as hard as you can. And, and again, I don't think Harvick totally, you know, if he totally went in there and took a swipe of Kurt Bush, I'm like, okay, well, that's a different story. But I don't think it was that big of a deal. Um, I just think, you know, Kurt was, was visibly upset, and I understand that. He just got a, a stage point taken away from him. He just got an, a, a regular season point taken away from him. He was frustrated, and, and I get that totally. Um, he's a very competitive person. The Bush brothers are. We know that. And he has a right to be frustrated because he didn't win that stage. But I don't think it was anything Harvick did that cost him anything. Now, Parker Klugman, I know, was on NBC disagreeing with that. But, you know, I, I, I disagree with that. I just think the way – Kevin Harvick drove Kurt Busch at the end of that race was was totally clean. At the end of the stage, I should say, was totally clean. 917-889-8280, talking in circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. Uh, position 6 through 10 tonight were Eric Jones in 6th, Denny Hamlin 7th, Joey Logano in 8th, Brad Kozlowski 9th, and Alex Bowman, highest finishing Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet in 10th. Um, Jones was sort of a sleeper all day. We haven't really heard from him. Was able to work his way up to the top 10, finished 6th. Hamlin spun out, lost control of his car, was able to save it. He started in the rear along with a couple of others because he didn't pass inspection. Uh, finished seventh, not a terrible day. Joey Logano was eighth. He talked about earlier in the, prior to the race how he had the best race car he had all year, was only, to get, only able to get to the eighth spot. Brad Keselowski was good for a little bit of the race. We saw him lead a little bit, but he finished ninth, not a great day, and Alex Bowman tenth, you know, back to, sort of backed into a top ten run couple of things I want to talk about here are the Team Penske cars. They seem to have speed early in the week. They qualify okay. They run pretty good in the first part of the race. But this has been a trend here now recently where we've seen this Team Penske teams where they get top five, they're running in the top five, and all of a sudden they end up back into the top ten or top 15 in Ryan Blaney's case where he finished in the 18th, I should say. Now he had some issues. Uh, I know they were out of his control. I think he had it, got it, banged into somebody on a restart and uh, damaged his car significantly, so that really put a damper in his uh, race. But as far as Logano and Kozlowski is concerned, you know these guys are very happy with their race cars, and to end up eighth and ninth, I think it's a little bit of a disappointment for them. Kozlowski doesn't win yet this year. That's that's surprising. Um, Logano won at Talladega, so he's in the playoffs. But you know, is there any concern there for Team Penske in your eyes, John? I don't think there's concern. I think there's the. <clears throat> They admit they're a little behind. And as Keselowski said after the race, he said they struggled with some stuff. They had a vibration. Then they struggled with some grip. They got a little better. 
And Kislowski said they were probably a fifth-place car, but he cost them a couple spots. Uh, but if you look at the mile and a half, and this is what Keselowski said, he said, we could run fifth to tenth, but we're behind Truex. We're behind Kyle Busch. We're behind the Stuart Haas racing cars. And that's something that Team Penske has to keep working on. Um, I don't know what it is, what magic Stuart Haas has found, but you look, all four cars, I mean, they've last week all four cars were in the top ten. I mean, all four cars have been competitive. All four cars would be in the playoffs if it started today. And if you were to handicap who's going to Homestead with a shot at the championship, the way things are going right now, I would almost pick two Stuart Haas cars to be in the final four because of the way Boyer's been running and the way, the way Harvick's run all year. Um, with Eric Jones... Uh, finishing sixth. I mean, he said flat out the last couple weeks, they've been really good. Sonoma was a challenge, but they wound up getting through it. Uh, the grip level was low today at Chicago, but he said with it being hot and slick, they were really good at making adjustments and they did what they needed to do to get a good run and finish with a solid top 10 finish. And Bowman, I mean, he was happy even though they were loose most of the day, but he said the pit crew wound up getting them some spots every time they came in. They got two or more positions every pit stop they made. And that's one of the things you look at. Boyer was saying whenever it came to calculating uh, calculating his pit road speed, you're pushing the envelope because on the track, you're hoping to get a couple hundreds or maybe a tenth or so. On pit road, you could possibly end up pulling a second over somebody with how you have your pit road entry, exit, and how well your team performs. Pull a second better than somebody unless you are completely on new tires and have no chance. I mean, and everybody's on 75 lap tires. That's about the only time you get a second lap faster than somebody. So you have to be aggressive on pit road to do everything you can to get that second and make your, you can pull, like uh, Bowman said, they pulled a couple, they passed a couple people every time on pit road. And that's the best way to make up positions because it's tougher than hell to pass on the track. Yeah, and again, another tough day for Chevrolet. I mean, we talked about Larson. He was a player. Uh, came, you saw how close, if you watched the finish, you saw how close he came to winning that race. He was really the only Chevrolet driver to have any sort of speed today. Uh, McMurray was decent. He qualified 13th, had decent practice times. He ended up 12th. Uh, we talked about Bowman in 10th. You know, Then you have Jimmy Johnson, who started at the rear of the field and got to about 20th, 20th and it seemed to stall out a little bit in that 48 car. Um, he ended up 14th. Not a great day for him. Ryan Newman, 15th. R.C. R- 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 had some issues. Um, Austin Dillon had a fire on his, pit, on his car when he went to pit road. A brake fire, it looked like. He a tough day. He ended up finishing uh, in the 37th position with a wheel hub issue, as I mentioned earlier. Um Ty Dillon was not very good today, 28th again. That team's just been lost all year long. I don't know what it is, whether it's him and Matt Borland are not finding it, but goodness gracious, another really, really bad day for Ty Dillon. Casey Kane struggled all day in 27th. Uh, The JTG cars, Chris Buescher showed a little bit of speed in practice. He had decent speed in qualifying before his time was disallowed. Um, Started at the rear, was never able to get any track position. Got off on pit strategy a little bit, I believe. He ended up 22nd. A.J. Allmendinger was 24th. Bubba Wallace was split him in 23rd. Uh, so Chevrolet just sort of back there. William Byron in 20th. Jay Selly in 19th. Chevrolet just scattered throughout the top 20, top 25. 
Another rough day for Chevrolet. Will they ever find this find it this year, John? Not a lot of room to play with with this new uh, optical scanning system that they have here. Not a whole lot of room to play with, and it just seems like everybody's sort of been waiting for Chevrolet to to find it and to put it all together. Is this a Chevrolet issue? Is it a Hendrick Motorsports issue? Because we see speed out of Larson. What is it with these Chevrolet teams? Not a very good day again at all. Well, uh, I think part of it is, I don't know if it's the <clears throat> a Hendrick Motorsports only issue. I mean, you've seen RCR struggle. I mean, Ty Dillon said flat out, he said, we have work to do on our intermediate track. They had some good moments, like a 13th at Texas. If you're calling a 13th place a good moment, you're having problems. Um but one of the things he also said, it's tough to take the notes from one mile and a half to the other because they're in different stages of repavement. The other part that Chevrolet is running into, they designed the Camaro Z1 or ZL1 for the 2017 rules package. And when they presented it to NASCAR, NASCAR said, okay. And then NASCAR changed the rules over the winter. And I don't think the rule change was good for what Chevy's trying to do. The one difference is Kyle Larson can drive anything. And I think there's, so, I mean, you look, Kyle Larson puts himself in different spots of the track that nobody else goes to. Kyle Larson, if you could have put a, um, a poker card, if you could put a, like an index card between Kyle Larson and the wall and not get credit one paint on it here and there you were surprised because Kyle Larson was that close to the wall and you heard Dale Jr. on the final couple laps whenever they were going through it Kyle Larson was going to the top and Bush was going to the bottom and Kyle Kyle Larson was making up about a quarter second a lap easily on Kyle Bush in those last five laps of the race I think it's Kyle Larson's willing to put his car in places that nobody else in the Chevy camp does and him and Chad Johnson have found something that works for the two of them. I don't know if it, I mean, the way McMurray drives is so much different than Larson. Um, Johnson, whole different kind of driver. He likes his car looser. And the way it's been going all year, Chevy's been fighting tightness. And that's not something Jimmy, Lar- Jimmy Johnson's used to. So, I mean, it's going to be an interesting next half of the season for the Chevy teams. I'm hoping that sooner or later Chevrolet will come out and end up challenging. So it's not just the big four and Larson working his way in there. I I mean, I'd like it to be more than five teams who are competitive. I agree. I can't agree more. I would love to see Chevrolet up there and, and sort of throw a wrench in everybody's predictions here. It's just, you know, thought they'd find it by now. You know, I mean, um, I was with the way Kozlowski was talking in the beginning of the year about how Ford was going to get destroyed because of the older body style. It seemed to pay off really well for Ford, and it's just Chevrolet. And you're right, the rules changed a little bit. But goodness gracious, I mean, it's just been it, – when you see that 48 car, which has been a an absolute the, – the, the bar, the bar for performance the last 15 years, really – um, when you see this team running 14th and you say they didn't have any issues, they really weren't a player all day, they just were there. You know, you never really heard Jimmy Johnson's name at all. Uh, that was That's a little bit alarming. And, and we're, you know, 
that was the 18th race of the year. We're exactly halfway through the season now. So when you look at that, you go, man, oh, man, they have to figure it out. You know, and Larson ran very, very good today. Um, he was strong all weekend. He ran great in the Xfinity race. This is Kyle Larson's type of racetrack where the tires wear off and run to the top of the bottom. You know, that's a Kyle Larson type racetrack. But, you know, Jimmy Johnson's excelled at every racetrack he's been at. Um, you know, he's won at every racetrack except Chicagoland and maybe two others. Um, but it doesn't mean he, he should be running 14th there. And I just think Hendrick, for whatever reason, this Hendrick Motorsports dominance that we've seen the last five, six years, you know, before this is gone. And we haven't seen it really in a year and a half, it feels like, where they just had been a stranglehold on the rest of the, rest of the organizations out there. Um, and whether it points to Rex Stump leaving, uh, Doug Ducart leaving, whatever, Hendrick needs to figure it out a little bit here because, um, you know, they just weren't great today. William Byron didn't have a great run today. Uh, Bowman was okay. He's been, I think, the most consistent car all year long. We've seen flashes of, of speed from Chase Elliott all year, but the most consistent Hendrick car has been Alex Bowman in the 88. He's, what, 16th, 15th in points right now, barely in the playoffs if the, if the race started, if the playoffs started today. So they got one win in the Chevrolet camp all year long, uh, longest winless drought since 1981. Uh, and it's and today was was just another example of that for the Chevrolet and Bowtie Brigade there in the Cup Series. Final thoughts on the I, Cup race at Chicagoland Speedway, John. One of the things I was looking at, Clayton, I was looking at Jeff Gluck after the race, and he was talking about Larson's stock rising. And he said he argued, I mean, Jeff Gluck said this, arguably Kyle Larson doesn't have as good a car as the big three, yet can battle with them anyway. Imagine if he was driving a Stuart Haas racing car. Plus, you add his racing mentality as a cool part of his personality. You look at Kyle Larson. He could have easily come out of the car and said, that damn Kyle Busch smacked me in the ass and knocked me out of the way and wound up taking a win away from me. No, Kyle, Kyle Larson came out and said, yeah, I meant to door him coming off of two. And when I did that, that green lighted Kyle Busch putting a bumper to me. I mean, the respect level in fans' eyes, respect level in the garage area. Kyle Larson is the future of NASCAR. He is the guy who is going to be the one who challenge. He's going to be the one battling Kyle Busch for years to come. And I just would like to see him getting top-notch equipment. I mean, he's driving the best that um, Ganassi has to offer. But Ganassi isn't the team that you put head-to-head. I mean, you don't think of them as one of the top-notch teams. You think of Hendrick, even though they're not there right now. You think of Team Petsky. You think of Stuart Haas Racing. Um, you think of Furniture Row Racing with basically them being a, a Gibbs satellite team. Um, you think of Gibbs and their four cars. But if you really think about it, the only Gibbs car who's been performing solid all year long is Kyle Busch. I think if we go back to the Chevy problems, again, there's a few big factors going into it. If you were putting this new Chevrolet Camaro out this year and you have your organization meetings on Tuesday, how much better information are you getting with Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, Tony Stewart, um, Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr. and Casey Kane compared to Johnson, Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, and William Byron with Rex Stump now 
the chassis guru at Stuart Haas Racing. Gary and Grubb the, on the box for the for the five car or the tw- for the twenty four car, and Doug Ducart running things at um, Chip Ganassi Racing. That's a lot of brain power that isn't in those competition meetings that were there two years ago. And I think if you put that much brain power into the competition meetings now with that new Chevy Camaro, I think they move faster toward getting competitive than they do right now, because I'm not sure what kind of information they're getting back from William Byron. I know Alex Bowman seems to be the info guy because he was doing all the simulation, all the testing last year for Hendrick Motorsports and understands what the car's got and what the car can have. So I think Bowman giving feedback is phenomenal, but I'm not sure what's there for the rest of the team. For sure. And I think that has a, that's a factor for sure. Maybe when they learn these race cars a little bit more, um, these drivers can certainly help contribute to the, uh, to the team a little bit more. We're exactly halfway through the season, John. I just want to get your opinion on something here quick before we move on to the Xfinity Truck Series recaps. Um, exactly halfway through the season. So, you know, it's time to start looking seriously at the playoffs and the playoff points. And I talked about earlier, um, there's only one driver outside the top 16 that would make the playoffs. That's Austin Dillon. He's 19th in the standings due to his win the Daytona 500. Uh, that would kick Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who's 16th in the standings out, put uh, Dylan in, and the final person to make it on points would be Alex Bowman, then Stenhouse, then Paul Menard there, breathing down the next. Guys outside the chase, you have Daniel Suarez, Austin Dillon, uh, or excuse me, Daniel Suarez, Jamie McMurray, William Byron, Ryan Newman, A.J. Elmendinger, Bubba Wallace, Chris Buescher, David Reagan, Michael McDowell. Um, of those names I just mentioned, John, is there anybody who you're really surprised about that is outside the chase, outside the playoffs, um, and is there anybody outside right now that you look at and say they're going to get in? Who, who, a couple of those names, just somebody that you're surprised about and somebody that you think will get in? Um, there's nobody I'm really surprised about because especially the way everybody's run this year. I haven't, I mean, we all knew there was William Byron's a superstar in the making, but we all know the first year is something that is a struggle to make sure. I mean, but William Byron's learning what the car will do. And we said about it with Suarez last year. We said about it with Eric Jones last year that you rarely expect a rookie to win. And how long has it been since we had a rookie win? I mean, Chris Buescher won a rain-shortened race at Pocono. But before that, it's been a while since a rookie went to victory lane. Um, the one who, There's a couple people who I think could end up finding a way to get in the chase. I think Newman, they're always gutsy. Uh, him and Matt McCall will try to, or Newman will try to find a way to get in just by a strategy move at Watkins Glen. Again, it's one of those you think you look at Almondinger as having a shot at uh, Watkins Glen. The other one I think who could surprise people at Watkins Glen by how good he is on a road course is Michael McDowell. I think they've got the they're building something there at front row uh, motorsports. David Reagan doesn't tear stuff up. Michael McDowell's getting comfortable with the team. They're performing better than Casey Kane did the 95 and the team he played with. I mean, he was with last year. 
I think McDowell is somebody who could surprise somebody at Watkins Glen. That's the one that will be the surprise at the end of the year. And if it's as crazy as it is with everybody um, trying to find that last um, playoff spot or trying to find a way to get in, I could see Indianapolis being a total cluster. And it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, it, it will be, especially with the, if they bring a new rule package, which you're not going to do. Um, but next year, that should be an interesting topic there. Um, one of the guys I'm interested in that I'm really surprised about is Ryan Newman. And you talked about him earlier. You know, Newman is a veteran of this sport. Now, he hasn't in the past, you know, he's not known for winning a ton of races. He's won one race in the last four seasons prior to this one. Uh, and that was last year when they won on that crazy strategy move by Luke Lambert in that 31 car at Phoenix. Prior to that, he hadn't won since 2013. Um, but when you look at where, where that team's done here recently, it's been a disaster. Newman's never finished worse than 18th in the standings. Currently, they're 22nd in the standings, and they are about 90 points out, almost two races outside of Alex Bowman in 15th right now. They need to win. Um, and the only way, and I, I don't know if that team, other than a, a restricted plate race next week at Daytona, I don't know if Ryan Newman's going to be able to pull up, pull one off. He's a, he's a decent road racer. I think you might see see him uh, run okay at Watkins Glen, and that might be another where if they got out a decent uh, a strategy where they pull one out of their hat and win, I could totally see that. But other than those two events, I don't see it happening. I mean, you look at after Talladega, Ryan Newman finished ninth there. He was 16th in the standings. He's dropped from 16th to 22nd since. That is seven races. They finished 33rd at Dover, 30th at Kansas, 35th at Charlotte, 25th Pocono, 22nd at Michigan, 24th at Sonoma, and 15th today at Chicagoland. A decent run at Chicagoland, but nowhere near where you want to be if you're Ryan Newman in that 31 car. RCR is down on speed. There's no doubt about it. They're struggling. Austin Dillon, we haven't really seen him perform well. I talked about earlier about how just how big of a disaster the year has been for Ty Dillon in that 13 car uh, with the Geico Jermaine Racing Team. They thought they were going to go off to a better start with Matt Borland there. They've been terrible. I mean, and, and again today, they just did not have any speed. They weren't even a factor for a top 25 finish today. Um but Newman struggled, and, and he's a veteran guy. You know he knows these racetracks, knows how to get around these racetracks. It's alarming, and I think it's got more to do with Richard Childress racing than it does Ryan Newman, per se. But that, to me, is a su- surprise, because I think if you ask somebody before the year started, Ryan Newman would be 22nd in points after Chicagoland, and he'd be, you know, um, more than almost two races outside the points. You'd go, wow. That's a really, really bad year. So um, they're really struggling, John, and, and I don't think RCR is going to find it. So Newman, to me, is the guy I'm most surprised about, for sure. Well, that's what I was saying. I'm not really all that surprised because RCR has been behind from the get-go. And, I mean, if you think about last year, the reason that Austin Dillon and Ryan Newman made the chase was strategy moves. It wasn't because they had better cars anywhere. It wasn't because they were leading races and all that stuff. They wound up pulling strategy moves to end up winning races to get them into the playoffs last year. It's going to have to be something like that again this year, and I could see Newman possibly pulling it off at Pocono again. 
Um, Newman's really good at Pocono. Um, and Pocono's one of those ones where even though they shorten it to 400 miles, fuel mileage comes into it. The tire strategy comes into it. I could see Newman pulling one of those moves, taking two tires or something and getting track position. And you saw it at Pocono. Once you get out front, there's no catching you. For sure. And, and, uh, just a really, really tough year for Newman. I think, uh, same thing with James McMurray. We've seen that team perform a little bit better here. A 12th today at Chicagoland is not a terrible run for that team. We've seen that team perform a little bit better here in the last four or five weeks, but they got off to such a disastrous start. McMurray's outside the top, uh, outside the points as well. He's going to need to win. He's a great plate racer, so maybe he'll pull one off. We've seen him run pretty well at the road courses as well for McMurray, uh, but I don't think he's going to point his way in as well. Um, but something to keep an eye on here with those two drivers who are bigger name drivers, Casey Kane as well, but Casey Kane's a bigger name driver, but he's not with a team that has made the playoffs yet. I think it's only in their second or third year full time. Uh, on that team, so I don't, I don't think we expect Casey Kane to make the playoffs this year. Um, with a crew chief change there last week as well. Um, so, but the two biggest drivers with the biggest teams, McMurray and Newman, I think are big surprises. Moving to the Xfinity Series, uh, which was run on Saturday at the Chicago Land Speedway, Kyle Larson led 80 laps. He beat out Kevin Harvick. Larson in a really fast race car, especially the second half of that race, was able to pull away and win. Kevin Harvick was second. Then it was Cole Custer in third. Daniel Suarez, driving the 18 car this week, was fourth. Daniel Hemrick, fifth. Elliott Sadler, sixth. Justin Allgaier, seventh. Paul Menard, driving the 22 for Team Penske. He finished eighth. Chase Briscoe, his first career top 10 finish in the Xfinity Series, driving the 60 for Rash Fenway. He was ninth. And Chase Elliott, filling in for Spencer Gallagher in the GMS Racing Chevrolet, uh, finished in the 10th position there for the Xfinity Series. Uh, not an overly exciting event from the Xfinity Series, uh, but anything that sticks out right now when you look at the rundown for the Xfinity Series and the Overton's 300 at Chicago and Speedway. One of the things you have to look out for is Cole Custer is now taking over the points lead from Elliott Sadler, which is something that we haven't seen. I mean, Elliott Sadler hasn't really been anything to write home about this year, but he's been consistent. He's been able to get good finishes. He hasn't won a race. He hasn't really contended for wins except for the Daytona 500. But other than that, Elliot Sadler has been consistent toward the top, but not consistent to win races. So I think it's a good move. I mean, you think about it, Cole Custer is the big news to me that he is in the points lead. Um, I think having Kevin Harvick in the race with Cole Custer um, gave them something else to go off of. Um, Cole Custer being young in the sport, the Stuart Haas Xfinity team being young, but having Harvick there as a somebody to work with, give him an idea, and Harvick knows that Chicago track very well. I think it gave Cole Custer a boost of confidence going in as they kept going, and now he has the points lead. Now it's a matter of how well that team continues to perform. I think Cole Custer is going to be somebody to watch out for when it comes uh, playoff time in the Xfinity Series. The other thing that... Um, really made me nervous all weekend long. Chase Elliott is not one of those kids who is a big fat slob who's out there. I mean, I love Tony Stewart, but Tony Stewart's a big boy. He's not the most uh, fit person in the, in uh, you put in a cockpit, but Chase Elliott needed two bags of IVs after the race yesterday. They showed temperatures inside those race cars at over 150 degrees. 
And I was listening to um, Moody on Friday. He was talking to one of the drivers. Um, or no, I was ta- listening to Pat Patterson yesterday talking to one of the drivers. And they were saying, no, it's not like we have air conditioning in those uh, cool boxes. It just blows ambient air in there, not the um, not like it's cooled down. So, yeah, they're blowing 90-degree 90, 90 weather a 90 degree air inside the helmet instead of 150 degree air inside the helmet. The fact that Chase Elliott needed two bags of IV coming out of the race, that's concerning. And that's one of the things that I think NASCAR has to start looking at of not only, I mean, it's one of it, to me, it's a safety factor. If you have a guy who's uh, physically exhausted, um, on the verge of heat exhaustion, you have to make sure those cars are safe. So somehow, some way, they've got to find a way to cool those cars down. Well, and uh, I don't want to sound cruel here, but, you know, I think what we have now and what we had 10 years ago is significantly different. I think they're much better. You can have cool suits today. The air blowing into the car is much better than what it was 10 years ago. Maybe the car is a little bit warmer because you don't have as much air flowing through them as they used to have. Um, But to me, it's a little bit, I think, you're better off with heat. Now, it was very, very, very hot at Chicagoland this weekend. Um, But we've seen hot races before. Uh, If Chase Elliott was feeling nauseous, he probably should have asked for a substitute driver. Somehow there was a couple of drivers outside of that, out, out of the race there at that point. Um, where he might have asked maybe Jeff Burton or teammate Tyler Reddick, who was out, um, or, you know, basically teammate Tyler Reddick, uh, to hop into that 23 car if he couldn't finish the event. I didn't think Chase looked that horrible. He was able to walk to his own power into the ambulance and get some IV fluid. Um, So it wasn't like he was sitting there like Ricky Rudd was in 1997 at Dover without power steering on a really hot day, laying down uh, and getting oxygen. He wasn't that bad. Um, so I understand where you're coming from, um, but it was, to me, uh, just a, a normal race. It, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be a, a really, um, you know, demanding, physically demanding sport. And when it heats temperatures, these guys are going to sweat, um, and these guys are going to work hard. And, uh, you know, I don't think Chase Elliott's weak for it at all. I'm not trying to say that at all, but I just think sometimes you're going to have those days where these drivers do that. And I understand where you're coming from. The heat certainly, um, with with the air not flowing through the race cars, is a big factor in that. Um, but I, I think for the most part, uh, it's pretty good what they got compared to what they had ten years ago. A couple of oh, things from the experience so here. Without a doubt, it's so much better than it used. But you still don't want to take the chance of having a driver suffer heat exhaustion and end up taking out the field or end up. I mean, because if heat exhaustion does kick in and you hope that the driver is smart enough to say, Hey, I can't go anymore. And they've, they've done it. And I know that chase Elliott's one of those guys that thinks he can tough, tough things through, but it's one of those, when you see temperatures in that uh, cockpit of 150 degrees, there's gotta be another innovation they can look forward to or something else to make the cool suits cooler I mean, you look, all they kept asking for was ice bags to put down the front of their uniforms. And you try to be ahead of it, but once you end up getting to the point where you're hot, you're never going to catch up. All you have to do is hope that you can maintain the hotness. 
it's just a safety factor that um, we have safer walls. We have in, we have the foam inside the doors and different things like that. It's just something else on the safety end that NASCAR and the teams might want to look at. For sure. I, I, and again, I just think it's come a long way in the last decade. A couple of things from the Xfinity Series I want to talk about. One, the attendance in Chicagoland. And I know it was a very hot day, and the Cubs were playing, so they had to go against the Cubs, which is a beloved team for Chicago. But goodness gracious, there was it was it looked practically empty there on Saturday. And I'm not trying to, to – because it was a great weekend, and it was a positive weekend because the racing was pretty good. But goodness, I mean, I just hope – Chicagoland supports that racetrack a little bit better than what they did on Saturday because that was a disaster. It, I mean, it was visibly obvious. You're sitting there going, wow, you can almost count the fans. It was bad. Um, and I hope the Heat played a bigger factor in that than I think it, that it did. Um, but, you know, and maybe the Cubs had a little bit to do with that. But yikes. You know, 9 million people at, and, in Chicago, and virtually nobody was at Chicagoland Speedway for the Xfinity Series race. Um, and you hear people killing Iowa for not having fans there for its Xfinity Series race, while Chicago Lane was way worse, and there was a cup race the next day. So um, I just wanted to get that out there. Also, another thing to point out, Michael Annette um, recently actually re-signed a, a multi-year extension with Junior Motorsports, they announced this week. But right now, he's about 40 points outside uh, the playoffs when Ross Chastain, who's in 12th, um, he's behind Ryan Sieg, Spencer Gallagher, and John Hunter Nemechek. Gallagher's missed a ton of races. Nemechek runs part-time. It's hard to envision a junior motorsports car missing the playoffs, but if a net can't pull off a win at Daytona or the three road course races, that looks like it's going to be a very possible thing to happen. So he had a bad day on Saturday. I think he got involved in somebody else's mess there. Um, but a, a tough day for, for Michael Annette and something to keep an eye on uh, as the weeks go on, whether or not that junior motorsports team will make the playoffs. Um, Michael Annette making continuing to run in the Xfinity series with Junior Motorsports is dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign. You heard Elliot Sadler say that they're looking for sponsorship because one main financial wants to uh cut back a little bit more. They're so they're looking for sponsorship there. Justin Allgaier has Brant behind him and that's one of the good things, and plus Justin Allgaier is running toward the front. Um, you've seen it. If you have sponsorship, you're going to stay in the sport. And Michael Annette has Pilot Flying J with him, and he's going to stay in the sport as long as the sponsorship continues. And some of the sponsorship that they've got from Pilot Flying J, I bet you they end up using that money to help field the Elliott Sadler car and some of the other stuff where they aren't as funded as well. So, you got to – sometimes you have to balance the books, and that's one of the things they're trying to do. I'm sure, and it's tough to be an Xfinity Series team owner um, with the challenges they have in that series for sponsorship. But uh, it's just something to keep an eye on. You know, it's, it's going to be an interesting battle as the season goes on. Truck Series has an interesting battle as well. Um, for their playoffs, we'll touch on that in a second. But I just want to give your opinion on the over in, Overton's 225. Here's your top ten. Brett Moffitt was your winner. Ben Rhodes, second. Donnie Sauter, Noah Gregson, Brandon Jones, the top five. Then it was Justin Haley, John Hunter Nemechek, Grant Enfinger, Austin Hill, and Myatt Snyder, the top ten. Uh, late in the going, it looked like John Hunter Nemechek's race to be had, uh, but they had some kind of issue with the fueling, whether they ran out of gas or some kind of fuel pickup issue is what it sounded like. 
Uh, jo- and Nemechek fell to the back, finished seventh. Uh, but what were, what were your thoughts on the truck race on Friday night at uh, Chicago Land Speedway? I love that Brett Moffat won. I mean, I feel bad for John Hunter Nemechek. Um, I love John Hunter Nemechek. The thing is, him having a win doesn't help anything. It messes up playoffs the way they go because he's he would end up taking a spot that somebody else could have. I like the fact that Brett Moffat wins, continues to be up there pushing Johnny Sauter with the amount of wins that he has. Basically, he's locked into the playoffs, and you have a team here that is running well. Scott Zipidelli and um, Brett Moffat have formed a great partnership right off the bat with that team. Brett Moffat's always been a good driver. We've all liked the way Brett Moffat has run, even whenever he was filling in in the 55 car for Michael Waltrip Racing, uh, when he was driving the 99 car for Michael Waltrip in the Xfinity when he first came up. Brett Moffat's a great little driver, and he just needs a couple breaks to fall his way, and so far, sponsorship breaks have not fallen his way. I would love to see so much that like a pilot flying J who's backing a driver who isn't doing so well would back a driver who's finding his way to victory lane on a pretty regular basis. I, I like the fact that Brett Moffat is making it tough for Hitori to park that truck. Whenever they're locked into the playoffs, they have a chance of winning the truck series championship. They're making it pretty darn tough to park that truck. Heck yeah, and and it's great to see you said Moffat is a good guy, great driver, um, and he's just something to keep an eye on, and that team's something to keep an eye on as well throughout the year. Something else to keep an eye on here as we wrap up Talking in Circles tonight is the Truck Series. Uh, Their playoffs, you know, we're getting at that point. We talked about it in Xfinity. We're going to talk about it in in Cup as the year regular season moves on, and we're going to talk about it in the Truck Series as well. Um, right now you look at it, and there's four drivers with wins. Johnny Sauter, Noah Gregson, Brett Moffitt, and Justin Haley, at least who are running for points in that series. Um, the first driver in the points without a win is Stuart Friesian, who uh, is a dirt, dirt ace here in the Northeast. Then it's Grant Enfinger, one point behind Friesian. And then it's Matt Crafton, six points behind Enfinger. Ben Rhodes, seven points behind uh, Crafton. So, those guys are keep, and then it's Myatt Snyder, 42 points behind Ben Rhodes. So it looks like we might have our eight drivers um, in the playoffs because Snyder's so far back behind Rhodes. That is Cody Coughlin in 10th. He's 17 points back. Um, but one of those guys outside the top, ten, a top eight might win. Coughlin, uh, Snyder, uh, maybe Dalton Sargent pulls one down as well. So that's something to keep an eye on here as the season goes on. It's just how close the points are between 4th, 5th, 7th, and 8th right now uh, in the truck series. One of the things we've noticed is um, Thor Sport, their adjustment to Ford, uh, the late moment they did it, I still see Crafton and Ben Rhodes being able to get wins before the regular season comes to an end because, as you've noticed, as the summer's picked up, both of those have been running better. Absolutely, and it would be nice to see uh, that team win and, and perform well because it's been a tough year for them, no doubt about it, here as the 2018 season goes on in the truck series for uh, Thor Sport Racing. And, and it's going to be an interesting battle. They run, they skip Daytona and they run at Kentucky next, in a couple of weeks. 
I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. We'll see you Wednesday night here on Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell and John Hollow, thank you for listening. Good night, everybody. <laughs>